Welcome to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Youth Soccer Player Development Podcast, Episode 7 with Tom Bayer. Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Youth Soccer Player Development Podcast. Now this week we've got a great guest, Tom Bayer, who's a technical coach, who's done a lot of work in Southeast Asia, was based in Japan, was huge in Japan, and now works as a consultant to the Chinese government to try and help develop football in China. Now I saw a uh, presentation of his a few weeks ago in Geneva, and I was blown away, really interesting. Um, obviously he talks about many things about football development but really key areas about trying to develop a culture of football but also about supporting players technical development between the ages of two and six years old so that sound might sound a bit far out to some people but trust me I saw the presentation I saw some of the videos which he uh, chronologically recorded the development of his own kids from two to six and some of the technical development was really impressive and as a former academy coach thinking about we're getting players in with that technical base already thinking about how far they could actually go. So really interesting. I'm sure you like it. In terms of myself, I come back from the NSCAA conference in LA. Uh, really recommend that to anybody who's really wants to try and learn and develop themselves as a coach, connected with loads of people, lots of old friends as well. That was really good and uh, got a big couple of weeks coming up. Um, starting work with a big club in the Northwest and also one of the big clubs in Europe. So exciting times ahead. So without further ado, let's get into it. So, Tom Bayer, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, can you give us a brief history of your playing and coaching background? Sure. I'm, I'm originally from the United States, where I was born in New York, um, and uh, I played uh, in a junior college called Ulster County Community College um, back in the in the late 1970s, which, believe it or not, was a was a national perennial powerhouse back in the days. So it was national champions um, two years in a row. Um, and a lot of professional players came from that school. And then I wound up down at the uh, University of South Florida uh, in Tampa, um, played with a player that many people know, Roy Wegerly, who had a very nice, good career in the U.K. Um, and uh, th- that was kind of a bad timing for pro- people like myself wanting to be aspiring professionals because the, uh, the, uh, the, the fledging North American Soccer League uh, basically folded around 1984, I believe it was. And I wound up over in Japan, um, and I had a short stint playing with um, with Hitachi, which is currently in the Japanese uh, professional league, in the J-League called Kashiwa Reysol. Um And I also did a short stint at an amateur team in England, a club called Leiston FC in the Ipswich Suffolk League. Um, and then I got out of playing back around 1988 in Japan, and uh, I, I, I fell in love with Japan. I wanted to stay here, um, and I uh, started focusing on uh, coaching kids, um, young kids under 12, um, because that's how they're divided up here in Japan. Under 12s is elementary school age children, um, and I pitched um, Nestle. Uh, the big uh, chocolate company, um, with the idea of sponsoring me to do some a national tour 
to to do what we call football clinics here. Um, and long story short, um, I convinced them. And in 1989, for 10 years, I traveled all throughout Japan doing football clinics uh, for children. Um, and then there's kind of a timeline, but that started in 89. Then in the early 1990s, I was uh, introduced to the work of Will Curver by my good friend uh, Paul Mariner, the former striker of England. Um, who convinced me to start focusing on technical uh, development. And, and I, I basically became a, a technical coach. Um, and then kind of the rest is history. Wound up, you know, staying in Japan for many years, um, focusing on technical skills, uh, created a, a company um, that focused on commercial football schools. Um, as of today, they're the biggest company in Japan with over 100 schools. Um, and then uh, I also got casted on Japan's number one television show for children back in 1998. And for about 14 years, I had my own football corner uh, called Tomsan Soccer Techniques in Japan, which is on the number one children's television show every weekday morning. And that went for 14 years. That coupled with still traveling around the country. Um, so basically, kind of in a nutshell, that's what I've been doing. Um, and, uh, you know, you can ask me some more questions, but basically that's kind of the, probably the, the long answer to, to your short question. So what age do you think is the ideal time to start coaching young players? Well, you know what? I, I really believe there's a big difference between these words of coaching kids and teaching kids. Um, you know, coach, kids are, are very difficult to coach to begin with at a very, very young age. Um, so when I think of coaching, I think more of coaching as in, you know, collective, uh, you know, 20 kids, uh, a coach, uh, they're, they're in competition, um, they're playing games, you have to assign positions, uh, you know, they, they, it, you're, you're, you're coaching a team. I'd rather almost say coaching a team more than coaching players, whereas I believe that, you know, the, 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 the foundation to doing anything in football is the technical side. Um, and that needs to be taught at a very young age. But coaching kids, I would say, maybe from the ages of, let's say, uh, you know, at seven, eight, eight years of age, um, you know, organizing them. Again, there's not much, a lot that you can do at those at those very young ages. But the point is, is that there's especially not a lot of coaching that can go that can happen if kids haven't mastered the basics. And that's why I think everybody gets it wrong. So, but obviously, your work now. You, tell us a little bit about the difference between that teaching and coaching, then, because obviously now you obviously your your uh, your your work now is based a lot of working with working with younger players, right? Yes, it is. It is, and again, probably because you've heard the story before, but just for your listeners, um, I had a whole different rethink when I when my first children were born. I have two boys. Uh, one's ten, one's eight. So I'm coming at this from a different angle now. I'm coming at it more from a father's angle having had experience as a technical coach in many different areas of the game for over 20 years. And then basically I, I had a rethink when I, I started thinking, well, what can I actually do with my own kids? Um, and that's where I, I introduced these very tiny small balls to my children as soon as they could start walking. Um, and that all took place in the house because when you have small children, a majority of their time is indoors. Um, and to this day, now my kids are 10 and 8, 
Um, and I'm sitting in my living room right now. I can look around and I see four little balls in my house right here. My kids were playing with them this morning. So it became part of the culture, part of the environment in our home. Um, kind of think of it as a favorite toy. But there's almost a day that does not go by in my house where the kids aren't at least fidgeting or playing or trying to beat each other or doing something with those balls every single day. Um, which, you know, is pretty powerful because it, it, it becomes... When I, when I talk about it and I, I say that it, it becomes intrinsic, so that intrinsic motivational switch gets turned on from a very young age because the kids were introduced to these small balls at a very young age, um, and basically they fell in love with playing with the ball. Um, so I don't have to push my kids. I never do, um, telling them you need to practice more or do anything because they practice on their own a lot. So, you so know, that's big. So is it then they purely are left to their own devices? I mean, how much is, is instructed? How much is, you know, taught? How much is just them freedom of uh, going out there and, or going in the home and expressing themselves? Okay, well, for an example, I live in Tokyo. My two boys belong to their club team called Oyama Dai Soccer Club, um, which is kind of associated with their school. Um, and basically they train every Tuesday, uh, every Thursday, and every Saturday and Sunday or Sunday, it just depends on the week. I, I, I don't do much of anything at these days of instructing my kids um, other than just I, wa- I go to watch their games as much as possible. I praise them. Um, for a long time, I wasn't really saying anything to my kids because I didn't want to be kind of that pushy father. And I was very, very um, conscious about you know not overstepping the boundary between father and coach um i very rarely even go to their practices um so i let them that's their free time um and it wasn't only until recently that my oldest son just asked me started asking me for ideas and 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 you know he he asked me for advice on things and i started doing that but um as a parent i think i've done my job um i basically prepared my kids uh, for the day that the, the day that they actually stepped their first foot onto a football pitch um, to have any organized practice or training or coaching, I fulfilled my you know my responsibility as I see it as a father, um, which basically helped them to or at least nurtured them to master the the core skills that are needed for a player to play. So can, which, can you talk a bit about a little bit more detail then about that that introduction? So what? age did it start I mean what's what age do you think we should introduce the balls to players and within that introduction tell us a little bit more detail about what how that looks in practice I mean is it you know how do you guide them to develop things like you know the stop and starts and the, using the weak foot and those sorts of things sure. so again like I said it started in the house um you know as soon as my boys could start walking there was a couple of balls around in the, in every room um and it basically started with trying to discourage kicking um, by showing by myself, which, you know, kids are very good at imitating, um, of just pulling the ball back. So I tried to get my kids comfortable with both feet, uh, right foot, left foot, sole of the feet, just pulling the ball back. And then you just image or imagine, you know, you've got a small kid, a one- or two-year-old child. They're pulling the ball back. The ball's rolling along the floor. They're running after the ball to stop it. Um, So they're doing this back and forth. Um, and that's all I did in the beginning. Um, and then it basically started graduating to where they could obviously control it a little bit better. 
Um, but it was always learning to pull the ball back because I realized that from a very young age, it was very beneficial to have it um, basically a reaction of being able to pull the ball back and at least have that feeling like they're protecting the ball, like it's my ball, you can't have it, um, and doing it with both feet. And now today, when I fast forward and I look at that, um, and, 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 and just not the pulling the ball back, but stopping, starting, turning, you know, changing direction, cutting um, with the ball, but everything was happening inside the house with both feet. Um, and then occasionally, of course, when we go outside, we do the same thing. But I've always encouraged to try to protect the ball and pull the ball back as much as possible. Now, it's kind of funny because in Japan here, I'm very well known as a technical coach. Um, and I've made videos. I've made five videos, uh, basically technical videos showing many different ways to beat players, whether it's the old, the old uh, you know, cur uh, curve or step over moves or step around moves or all those things. But I didn't teach those to my kids. And all I did was teach them uh, to be the best um, at pulling the ball back with both the right foot and the left foot. Um, and for some reason, that basically set on that intrinsic motivational switch when they could see that they could master the ball themselves, that they could hold the ball, they could keep the ball, they could pull the ball back. Um, and today, when you fast forward now and I look at my kids, um, not only they're the best technically uh, skill-wise dribbling with the ball, but they're the best passers, they're the best receivers, they understand combination play better. Um, so these little things um, in the beginning seem to have, have given them a tremendous head start and accelerated learning. Um, and then it basically almost goes into, it almost goes into autopilot. Because again, when a small child can learn to do something or master something, if you look, Think of it, and you look at some of the great players in the world, right? I mean, who is the best player in the world? I mean, you know, debatable, but I think probably Messi is, right? Yeah. If you look at what Messi can do, he's the best in the world at stopping, starting, turning, and changing direction and, and at a ridiculous rate where he accelerates. Um, he doesn't do any fancy moves. He's just very quick, agile, and, and great at pulling the ball back, stopping and starting with the ball. So I, I kind of joke around. And I say, well, kids, you know, you might want to practice that. And so what, what, once you get a kid hooked in um, where they actually feel that they can do something and they can master something and they have confidence and they've got, you know, more motivation because basically kids are motivated to do things that they enjoy doing. And what I say is I, I maintain is that a majority of children who play the sport uh, are technically incompetent, most of them, a majority of kids. I would say that in, in throughout the world. Well, it's quite interesting you say uh, that, Tom, because um, obviously I do a lot of skills-type stuff here in England, skills work, and I notice a lot of the players are technically um, not good enough, maybe, and also physically as well. You're talking about there your, your kids who can do it off both sides, and I work with a lot of players, and even academy players, who can't dribble with the left foot, put the, foot, the weak foot on the ball, pull it back, so that even, you know, you're talking about a bit of physical illiteracy as well. And I think in, in, you talk about there about not kicking the ball. And I read it in your book as well about you, you talk about England having a, you know, a, maybe a historically over-reliance on physicality. And I think there as well, there's the culture here has always been about kicking the ball, you know, being strong, physical, getting up the pitch quick. So even here, we're, 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 we're um, struggling with that culture of trying to encourage players to stay on the ball, given time to stay on the ball, even at the elite level. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and it's not just the UK or England. I think it's many countries in the world. I mean, if you look at the entry level for the sport is kicking and shooting for most kids. So when you go around to a park, that's why in my presentation, um, when you go around to the parks in the world, you'll find a majority of them, um, small children with fathers, could be a mom, but basically it's usually fathers, and they're out and they're kicking the ball back and forth. Um, and they're proud, you know. I've, I've had so many people send me, tw uh, you know, uh, videos on Facebook or Twitter or some of the social network and showing me that they're so proud because their little two, three-year-old can kick the ball. You know, so what I, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that there has to be an attitude change. There has to be a shift in the culture. Uh, I always, again, I, I use the, um, the comparison that, you know, if you go to maybe a Latin country and you give a small child a ball and try to challenge them for the ball, more often than not, they might pull the ball back and keep it. I know that would happen with my kids, but with a lot of kids in the world, if you give them a, a ball and challenge them for it, uh, they'll kick the ball away and they'll either run and chase after it or they'll freeze. And again, for me, I found that when once I, I could get my kids were instilled with that, that it's more about when someone, you know, when someone challenges you for the ball, you pull it back and you protect it. For me, it seems to be a game changer. It seems to change the trajectory and the mentality of kids when they're playing. Um, you so, know, and, and go ahead. Yeah. Yes, I mean, obviously now. So how you know how's that work in practice now? Obviously now you work across Asia and the world, and you know you're talking about encouraging the two to six year old age group uh, become more technical. How how does that look though? For I mean, you know, for a layperson, for a parent, you know, who doesn't have your experience in coaching, how do they support their 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 young their young kids with you know stopping them from kicking it and developing these cutbacks and these you know getting their foot on the ball what's you know how does it how does that look in practice for somebody well you know i mean again i i'm talking from from my angle because i did it myself right because i'm, I'm i am a coach who experienced but i've got two kids and i've done it um but all i can tell you is is that everything that i did could be done by any parent if they have the knowledge so what does that mean? That means that, for example, in, in China, where I work, um, we have programs um, that basically go out and basically uh, educate uh, parents. Uh, we've got a major uh, media component um, as well. I just got done filming a, a television series for CETV, which is China Educational Television. That corner is going to run 365 days starting in March, so every single day. There'll be a one-point lesson on technical skills. Now, that's a little bit geared more for older kids, but we're also starting a new project that's going to focus primarily on under six, uh, kids under six, but more importantly, their parents. So it's, a, it's an education, you know. It's like, you know, you go around and, and you know, look what the federations do. They have A license courses, B, C, D. Some of them even have F now, the U.S. has. But none of them are focused on, on parents' um, education, which I was quite surprised. Um, you know, they focus traditionally on coaches because why wouldn't you? They, everybody believes that if you want to be a good football player, you need to put your kid with a good coach. Um, and I challenge that. I challenge that because when I started reading a lot of the biographies of a lot of the great players from many generations, I realized more often than not, a lot of them didn't have coaches until they were older. You know, you only hear the stories of the Messi's and the Iniesta's like that Barcelona produced them. And I challenge that sometimes because, you know, of course, these are the, these are great club teams. These are great academies in the world. 
But come on, I mean, to get the attention of a Barcelona, you've got to be an incredible talent to begin with. So that's the question everybody wants to know. How do, how do you get to that level? It's way before the academies of the professional clubs. So what I say and maintain is, is that there's certain countries in the world that are conducive to developing players. And it, again, it's because of the culture. I don't believe that it's, that it's a, a special expertise in coaching per se, which, you know, gets the ire up of a lot of coaches, especially elite coaches, because they want to believe that, you know, because they were lucky enough to have their kid in their academy while they were there, that somehow they're responsible for that kid's success throughout his whole career. Now, of course, now I'm being a bit provocative, and not to say that these academies are important, because they are, but people need to understand that it's way before that, and there's many things, and the starting age... Of, of, of what kids can do and how they can start learning the basic technical skills of stopping, starting, turning, changing direction, that's not a coaching thing. That happens way before. And uh, I, almost every great player that you find, uh, that you look into and you do a little bit of research, you'll find that that kid started playing from a very, very, very young age. And mo more often than not, it was the influence of the father, the brother, uh, the cousin, the whoever it was. So I think you know, so, what I'm yeah, I, I noticed in your your book, which we talk about a bit later as well. I mean, you talked about bilingual, trilingual children as well. So I suppose it's the same, right? So I mean, if two to six year olds learning these languages, and you know, they learn the language of football, and that's there, you know, this takes a little bit of learning of others and discovering themselves, and it's all a bit of a process. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's always this question in sports, right? Is it nature? Is it nurture? Are you born with it? Is it learned? Is it art? Is it science? I mean, and, you know, of course, you know, you, you've got certain kids that have uh, have more natural talent than other kids. Um, you can just look at kids sometimes and even see that before them even touching a ball or doing any sport at all. But I do believe that we can do much, much more on the nurture side. Um, and again, you know, I, I mean, if you think about it, right, there are, as I say in my presentations, that there's 211 member associations in FIFA. Only eight have ever won a World Cup. And out of those eight, there's only three that are like serial repeaters. It's the same one. There's Brazil, Germany, and Italy. Five times, four times, four times. You know, Spain once, France once, England once, um, you know, Uruguay twice, um, or Argentina twice. Um, but the reality is, is that the other 200 countries, um, or at least 100 or 150 of them, don't look like they'll ever win a World Cup. And and again, what I what, what when you look at those countries that are doing so well, you've got to take a look at the culture and the environment that they're in. You know, and nobody's really kind of broken it down. I don't think up until you know I've started shining some light on this subject. There's not there hasn't been too much talk about the role of parents in in a football player. Um, in fact. Most people look at parents adversarially. You know, they look at them as adversaries. They look at them like they should never be working with their kids. They shouldn't be coaching their kids. But that's where I say there's a big difference. As parents, we can teach our kids certain things and let the coaches coach the kids. And the reality is, is that you've got countries in the world, such as America, which I'm going to go to next week, and yourself as well. And as you'll see, very, very well-educated coaches in the United States. They're very well-educated. Um, and the, but the reality is, is that we've got half the population of, of, of Europe in the United States. And I asked the question, where's the players, you know? And if you do look at the good players that have come out of a country like the United States, 
Landon Donovan, uh, Clint Dempsey, uh, the, 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 the boy playing in Germany now, Pulsic. All three of those kids, when you research and you study, how did they start? Again, it's attributed to the families, the parents. You know, I so, went they're, 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 so so to me, it's it's pretty clear. It's as clear as the nose on the end of my face. But for some reason, people haven't gotten it for a long time. Why, why do you think in America haven't had the success in producing players? Also, I lived there for a couple of years coaching out there. I know there's some massive grassroots sports, lots of boys and girls playing. Obviously, they had success at the girls level. But why aren't they more successful at the men's level, considering the huge amount of participation they have in the sport in that area? Yeah. Yeah, good question. Well, my my whole thing is is that they just don't learn the basics. Look at what's happened to basketball. America dominated basketball worldwide. I just heard a crazy statistic the other day, um, and I can't remember the exact what the percentage was, but a majority of white players in the United States that play basketball in the NBA, they come from Europe. Now, you have to ask, how can that be? And the reason is that I've been told by basketball experts is because the Europeans have focused much more on the basics, on the basics of being a basketball player, and they're better than the Americans are now. So I look at that the same thing with football, or soccer, as you want to call it in the U.S., but basically kids don't master the, master the skills. For example, my six-year-old son, when my, when my boy was six, okay, or seven years old, he practices every Tuesday from 4.30 to 7 o'clock at night. Every Thursday... 4.30 to 7 o'clock at night. On any given Saturday or Sunday, it could be half a day. It could be a whole day. They could play three or four games in the morning away, and then they come back at, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and practice until 7. So that's culture. Americans would never allow their 7-year-old kid to, be, to do that. Okay, So there's certain things that work in certain countries and certain that don't. In Japan, again, another comparison to the United States, they play 52 weeks a year. There's no on-off season. There's no stop and start. High school football, which is going on right now, the national tournament, that basically sells out the national stadium, 50,000 people to watch the final. There's a TV show. And almost all of the games are on live right now. The national tournament's going on. 48 teams competing in it. They're on primetime television. The final is on primetime. So, like I say, these are cultural things. And then they wonder why we develop better technical players here in Japan versus America. It's very simple, you know. They practice more. That's one of it. So, in, in America, you know, it's just a different culture. Parents uh, wouldn't allow their kids to focus as much on football. You know, let's be honest. Football is a sport that, whether we like it or not, unfortunately, takes a ridiculous amount of time to become good. That's the reality. So if you get that and you buy into that, then you have to figure out, well, well, well how's that kid going to get that practice? Because even if you add up the hours that a kid plays with his regular club team practicing, it doesn't add up enough. It's not enough. So for me now, the lesson, the biggest lesson that I learned with my kids was, is that it's, it seems to be, at least for my kids, it's more important what's happening away from the structured practice what they're doing with it. And I can tell you this much too. When my kids joined here in Japan, their club team, there were about 22 kids on the team. First grade goes into the team. He's the best kid technically. There's two or three kids that are halfway decent. Just so happens their fathers used to be players. And then about another 18 players were starting from zero. Okay, now fast forward and look at the makeup of the team. Fifth graders, five years later, okay? My kid's the best player. Two or three kids have improved. 
the other 18 players, it's almost like a time slip. It's almost like nothing happened with 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 their development progress. Now you you have to ask the question, well how can that be? Well, the way that I look at it is first of all they didn't learn or master any of the basics before they started. So they're always playing catch up. They're always behind the eight ball. And those kids you'll tend to find don't practice outside the regular organized practice because they don't enjoy football as much. So why would they? You know, and then you again answering your question about America. So there's statistics such as 38.5% of American children drop out of soccer by the age of 7. 50% drop out by the age of 10. So I maintain the reason that, now for example, getting coming back to my story with my, my own kids in Japan. So those 18 kids that I told you, very little progress, those are the kids at risk that are going to drop out. They're going to stop playing. After elementary school, I would say all of those 18 players, all of them, are going to stop playing. They won't play anymore. So, you know, that's, I believe, when you start connecting these dots of what the problem is in the United States, because it's of epidemic proportions, but not just America. It's a lot. You know, the numbers of kids playing football in Europe is, is on the decline as well, you know? So... Well, well um, I mean, because obviously we watched your great uh, presentation in Geneva recently, and um, so you could just, just go on about, um, talk about what evidence there is for possible gains that... To be made at two to six. Obviously, I was there with a lot of people. Some people were very skeptical about it. Um, just talk about. Well, so you talk about in your books. Talk a little bit about the evidence. We live in obviously a society now where people are looking for proof about everything. Uh, can sure, you just go, sure. talk a little bit about that? Okay. Well, again, you know, I'm 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 drawing insights because of my own children, but I'm also seeing that other kids aren't developing. Right. Like for example, if it's just a matter of 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 practicing all the time then how come I've got this phenomena in my son's class, my, my son's team, where basically 18 kids haven't progressed? So that, that's just one right there. Uh, that, that was a huge eye-opener for me because I'm going and I'm seeing very, very little progress, if anything, that's happening with those other kids. And again, that's because by the age of six, they mastered nothing, zero. They were starting from, from, from zero. Then again, like I said, the other evidence to me is when I read the stories, when I read the stories, whether I read the stories about whether it's Pelé, whether it's about Christ, whether it's about Messi, whether it's about Neymar, whether it's about Ronaldo, whether it's about Ronaldinho, whether it's about Suarez, you read their stories and you find out that they all started playing from a very, very young age those kids. And again, coming back to the Latin kids story, a majority of the best players started from the very, very young ages. When you look at also even the few players, for example, I just read an article the other day that was an interview with Pulsic's father, and he basically said that his son, uh, he introduced balls to him when he was as young as two and three years old, and that gave him such a tremendous head start that when he started playing with older kids later, his technical ability was just off the charts better because he was a two-footed player. So for me, I, I don't need so much more evidence, but I can understand and appreciate people might be a bit skeptical. But there's very I, I, can, be, I can be honest with you here. I've gone around the world, and I think you saw in Geneva, maybe I put the slide up of all the different groups that I've basically presented to, and I've got little to no... <laughs> Uh, um, skeptics that have actually challenged me on it, and I'm talking about you know some of the biggest federations in the world, um, some of the you know players that are, players and managers that have managed and played in World Cup tournaments that have won World Cup tournaments. Um, so you know, I mean, I did that on purpose because I wanted to 
basically expose myself to as many people as possible um, so that people could challenge me. Well, I think and it's interesting because now we seem to have a lot more um, people who are coming from a research background uh, trying to get involved in football and maybe they haven't seen for themselves the quality or the, you know, the, the gains you can have in this area. I mean, for instance, some people will question, you know, the teaching young players 1v1 skills and ball manipulation and saying it imposes movements on players and stunts creativity. That's a big debate we're having at the moment in this country. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, and, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I kind of grin about it and I shake my head sometimes because you know what I say, which is a provocative thing to say, is that these people, um, show me how your kids play. Do you have kids? You know, I mean, so... So, I mean, I, I look at it through a completely different set of goggles now. You know, there's so many so-called experts that think that they've got the magic sauce for developing players. Well, show me. Show me one kid, even, that you've nurtured, ever, you know? So, you know, you can talk in theory, um, and it sounds like it should work with these people, with, you know, all the mad scientists that think that they've got all of the solutions. But again, you know, you'd be, you'd be pretty shocked maybe to see that these kids have uh, – these people have kids that play football. And, and again, like I say, you know, I practice what I preach. I mean I've gotten really out on a limb writing a book and exposing myself and, and, and letting people into my, my, my private life um, with my kids and showing what I've done inside my home and how my kids play. I mean there's absolutely no doubt about it. My kids are way above average when you watch them playing games. And I'm not saying that to try to boast or, 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 or brag about it. Um, but it's just the reality. So until someone can come along and show me how they've nurtured a kid and they've actually got their you know, DNA on it, so to speak, or their fingerprint on it that can actually say – I mean very few people in the world can really make that claim that they've developed a player. You know? I mean you know, you've, you've, you've got some of these big academies saying that they've developed these players um, again. You know, but my thoughts are really you – know, Yeah, but I, I mean, suppose you've it's, gotten, it's, a, it's about like you, right? It's creating an environment where they can – develop and prosper and you know like uh, speaking to Albert Capellas from Barcelona recently in another podcast he said you know obviously you can't teach that creativity but you create an environment where they can go and then be prosperous and you know and develop in yeah. those areas like Iniesta. Let, let, let me tell you something if you can get a team of 22 six-year-olds that can do or master what my kids were able to do the elite player pool can only come from that group okay that's the reality of it and you can't tell me that any coach, first-time coach, would, would not want to inherit a team of 22 little six-year-olds that can already master a ball. I mean, well, I, I can't see any downside on it. Well, you know? I mean, what stood out for me about your presentation that we saw in Geneva, the ISC conference, um, was that, yeah, your, when you, you uh, recorded the development of your kids and the technical development on the ball, so from the yeah. two years old to six years old, and then the quality they had on the ball. So for myself, who works, I've worked in academy football for 10 years at Tottenham and Chelsea, some of the biggest academies in England, and work, we get players in at seven years old often. You know, if we had a players that come in with that technical base, that's what really yeah. blew me away, because obviously, you know, that's, you know, that's where you've got the start. You know, you've got a head start, and well, they've got a head start on everyone else, and then, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of time on even those other technical areas, because they've, they've got that head start. Absolutely, and that's the big thing that I that I that I found with my own kids too. Because again, like I said, using that story that I told you about my kids playing with the other kids on their team, I'm still incredibly dumbfounded when I go to watch the games and I see that literally three quarters of the team is just terrible, terrible. And you, you say, how can that be? Well, how can that be? Is here's what it is. It's tantamount 
to basically having a, cl- a student, a class of, of kids, 22 kids, and let's say it's math, science, or geometry, whatever it is, and basically half of that class you assign homework, and the other half you, you don't assign homework. Now, those kids are coming to the same class, they're listening to the same teacher, they're doing the same work day in, day out, but I would venture to guess that the kids doing the homework are going to perform better on the tests. Well, that's football. So what happens is is that I found that when those kids came in from the age of six and didn't master anything and they were starting from almost a minus sum, that they're always playing catch-up and it's very, very difficult to produce good players from those older age groups. That's the reality of it. And I don't care how many hours you practice. There's one shot that you get, basically. And if you miss that phase of development of the technical part, you're always playing catch-up. And it's very hard to go back and catch up on it. So you, know, you think so? Very, then, in, you know, a question leading up to that then is obviously if a player starts later on, you know, is it is it impossible for them to to gain them skills if they're starting in that much older age? I don't think it's impossible. You never say never, but I'd say improbable. You know, and I think that's why we go back to that question. You know, where, where are the players in the United States? Yeah. So uh, that that's what's happening in the United States. Exactly what you just said. Kids start older. Um, even if they play, if a six-year-old plays or a seven-year-old plays, maybe practice once a week, you know, maybe play a game once a week and they, you know, half the game, half, they play half the game, they sit on the bench half the game. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, look at Australia. Too. I work in Australia a lot. The season is so short there. The kids practice one hour a week in a lot of the, on a lot of the teams. Okay. It's tantamount to go to the school for a week. Or no, no, not even a week. It's tantamount to going to school for about three or four days. That's it. The amount of hours that they get for for back, basically practicing. They play fifteen weeks there. So that's fifteen hours that they practice. Uh, what so would you say? Hours. What would you say then to uh, you know so-called specialists? I call them who say working in this ball mastery uh, doesn't transfer to a game. This is another big debate we're having here. Unfortunately, the FA here in England now ball mastery is not really is a not covered in the elite level coaching courses so it's obviously not appropriate it's more about putting just putting him in the games and bit and expressing themselves so what do you say to that that idea about it doesn't transfer and just doing everything in a game yeah well you know i do come from the kerber background i I was involved with those guys for about 14 years at the highest level um been around all of them i was one of the rare american directors i don't think there's any directors on the international level that are directors so i know it intimately um but I can say this, and in Japan, it's the biggest curver uh, business in the world. There's nothing bigger in the world here. There's over 100 branded schools. But all I can tell you is, is that we inherited the great, the best players. We inherited the best players. Now, can you make them better? I believe yes, you can. But I don't believe that if a kid comes to your football school one day a week, and that's what the schools are here, one day a week they come that you can basically say that you're having a big impact on that kid. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I have a rethink. I have a rethink about the whole ball mastery thing. I think that it it is difficult if you're taking older kids and they don't have a certain degree of technical ability already. I have a question mark about, well, how much better can they really become? Um, because it's almost like riding a bicycle. I mean, when you get when you ride a bicycle from a very young age, you can basically ride a bicycle for life. And I, I find that the really, really good technical players 
And again, I'm talking about in Japan because we we're, we are we're very fortunate. We we have a very high level degree of technical players in this country in Japan. And when you and and when you see those players, when even players of my own age, I'm 56 years old, and I've got lots of friends that are around my age. That and and you see when we go out and we even play like little mini games with coaches and things like that, you can see that their technical ability is still so good, and that's because they were so good when they were young. But I just don't. I just can't see. I can see how the ball mastery does relate. And again, it has a lot to do with the coaches as well. How they use it. It's obviously good for a warm up. Um, but the interesting thing about my kids was, is that I never really focused on a lot of those ball mastery skills or the moves like. Um, you know, traditional kind of one v one type of moves. I really just ensured that my kids really mastered pulling the ball back, stopping and starting with the ball, and 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 touching the ball like what we call double touch, right and left foot, using them both. So then the, the question would be: Then people would ask them, "Well, how can you know that 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 work in isolation in your front room transfers to the game?" Because they'll say that's not re- that's not a realistic environment. So that's that was the question I was asking: How can that you know ball manipulation they're doing? Ball mastery, well, well, does that transfer uh, to a game situation? Sure. Well, the way that I think that a transfer is, there's a couple of different way, ways that I look at it. One is is that when the kid actually has success, they want to practice more, first of all. That's one thing. Okay. Again, that intrinsic motivational switch gets turned on. They basically have more fun because they have the ball with them with, at their feet. They can do more things so that when the ball comes to them, they're not always getting the ball nicked off of them because they've learned to protect the ball. So they're getting much more time on the ball than the other kids that haven't mastered anything. So I would I would say that it does transfer. You know, it, it does transfer in a way because basically when a kid again it, it it can be a you know slicing hairs to what is ball manipulation. You know, there's a there might be a big difference between what I believe ball manipulation uh, exercises are versus what you you or any other coach has only because I'm purely a technical coach. And I've made a 20-year living out of creating content, so I understand it, and I and I know probably a, a little bit more than the average coach would know about ball mastery. But there's lots of different about ball mastery. There's static stuff. There's 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 on the spot. There's on the move. There's there's ball mastery that you can create drills and put kids under pressure. So it depends on how you're using it as well, right? And you know you can have the best knowledge in the world you can take all your coaching courses in the world but if you're not if you don't have an intelligence level or an understanding on how to use it i mean all of these drills and all of these licenses and all of this education is almost meaningless unless you can put it in and make it related to you know practicing and 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 getting players to use these technical skills under pressure and trying to figure out you know how to get out of problems how to solve problems um, but what I, I see my, again, speaking from my own, um, experience with my kid is that he also seems to be the most creative on the field as well. Um, he tries things that normally most kids would not try. You can see a little bit of the genius of how he tries to go around, uh, one or two or three players or what, what, what tr- types of solutions he tries to apply during the games. Um, but you know, I don't know. It, it's a, it's a, it's a subject that, you know, that, that's open to, Lots of different ideas and different, you know, again, culture too, you know, I mean. The, well, the, well my, what, next, what... my next question was going to be then actually, you know, you, you're working in China now, so you're consult consultant for the government there. You're working with a huge culture with very little 
uh, you know, background football knowledge. So how do you then, you know, implant that 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 onto them? This is why I'm mean, obviously this is now what you do. How do you transfer that your knowledge to this whole country? Yeah, well, again, by convincing the Ministry of Education, who oversee all football development, that football starts with the technical foundation side. Um, and I don't think anybody really disagrees with that. I mean, up until the age of uh, 10 or 12 years of age, it's purely technical. It has to be. Well, this is so the thing. You... Is that's, I mean, at the moment, this, this is not unanimous. It's the idea that, you know, now in uh, England, this now is thing people saying actually decision making is more important than technique. So this is the, yeah. the, the battle we're having in, the, in England at the moment. Yeah. Well, you know, I know, I know there's, there's lots of controversies. I'm just giving you kind of my personal insight into it. And also when I read and I study and I try to learn from some of the real smart people involved in football, um, like, for example, if you remember the, um, the presentation that was given by the Belgium technical director, did you sit in on that yeah, one in Geneva? Absolutely. That, that was brilliant, man. I mean, that was very good. I'm going to do the, um, if you have time, I'm going to do a panel discussion with Romeo Jozak from the Croatian technical, uh, he's the technical director. Yeah, I know, Romeo. actually he's got, I've done one with him recently, so there's another one coming up for everybody. Yeah. And I've never met the man, but I've read his work, um, and you can see the genius in his work, and, you know, he's another guy that basically says up until, you know, those those young ages of, I believe, it's maybe 10 or 12 or what have you, that the foundation is on, the focus is on the technical side. I mean, and, and you see, I can, I can see that a little bit differently living in a country like Japan, where, I'll give you an example why I say that, too. Um, in Japan, we've got one of the best national teams in the world for women, okay? Very few women play football in this country. The last under-17 World Cup, the Japanese girls played in the final, probably should have won it, but they lost on penal- penalties to North Korea. The two years before that, they won the World Cup. Okay, so you've got the same team in the final two year, two times in a row. Okay, with different girls, completely different set of girls. They've scored twenty three goals for and allowed only two, and it's very similar to the second tournament. So the question has to be, well, how can that happen? And 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 trust me, it's not the coaching. It's not the coaching. The reason those girls are so good is because they're so good technically. Now, when you've got teams that play technically they're even, tactically they're even, then probably physicality comes into it next. But the reality is, is that the younger you go and the better the kids are technically, technique seems to win every time. Yeah, but then how does so, that technique come? Is it coached or is it, you know, they just developed it naturally? That's, you know, that's the well, question, right? Uh, yeah. Again, you know, there's, there's, I, I'm, I'm kind of slice, splicing the hairs here now, splitting hairs here, and saying to me, there's a, a difference between the teaching and the coaching side. Now, what, why those? So this was my point. So the point is, is that not a lot of coaching has to go on when you've got 11 players on the field that are just head and shoulders above everybody technically at a young age. It's almost like autopilot. It's almost like Mickey Mouse could coach that team, and it's probably going to win. Okay, so what what I'm saying is, is that when you get the technical component right, it seems the other parts of the game are much, much more easier to teach or coach or to at least have success. But the problem where it goes wrong is, is that most countries don't get that technical component right. And I believe that that's one of the reasons that you, you have a problem in the UK as well, because the player pool at the very young ages, um, 12 and below, 
the gap between the very best kids and the worst kids in England is too big. It's big. It's huge. You know, I, I was over recently and I've seen, you know, some of the different academies from the Premier League and I've seen their under 10s and under 12s play. And I was, to be honest with you, I was quite shocked. There's lots of teams in Japan that are much, much better than some of the Premier League Academy teams are, which was shocking to me. You know, so no, you got it. You got you. If you so, when it comes to this debate of you know whether it's the decision making, whether it's the technical side, I mean, you know, I try I try to avoid those types of arguments, but all I'm trying to to basically kind of push, I guess, is that you know, can parents play a much bigger role? Um, in trying to help their kids to become better footballers because I see now that you can bring the best coaches in the world to China. Um, you can hire and fire the best coaches or the best players, but you can't hire and fire the parents. And I know now that um, what can happen at a very young age, if a kid, before he ever steps foot onto a football pitch with an organized uh, coach, if that boy or girl has mastered just a few of the simple techniques of, you know, stopping, starting, turning, changing direction with the ball, that seems to be a massive head start. You know, we can debate lots of parts of the game, the different parts of the game, but, you know, I don't profess to be a specialist in the tactical side or the psychological side or the physical side or or anything, but all I'm saying is, is that from all of my experience, this isn't something that I just picked up with my own kids. This is, you know, 25, 30 years of, of being a football coach connecting the dots, understanding also the, the uh, influence of media, understanding sponsors, understanding how federations operate, understanding how the professionals think, understanding all of these different parts of the game, which I call the ecosystem of football, and understanding that when you can get a country like some of these certain countries that do produce the best teams and players in the world and you can get them all on the same page and they all understand how development takes place or at least have an idea or the entry level for the game isn't going out to the park and just kicking the heck out of the ball all the time and chasing it around with a little four or five-year-old that's where the magic happens and that goes goes back to the beginning of my that's why out of 211 member associations there's only a handful that dominate and kill everybody else yeah because you talk about the importance of really focusing on grassroots rather than elite elite level that's where a lot of countries have gone wrong in the past focusing too much time on the top and not enough time on the bottom i think a majority of the countries go wrong with that you know a majority of the countries if you look at them they hire these over-experienced, top-notch, their resumes are just like stellar um, from federations in Europe, and they bring them out here to Asia, um, and these guys come out here, and then they try to start organizing all of their, you know, player and elite identification and all of the, you know, all the little buzzwords that go along with the elite game, and then they wind up leaving four years later usually having a kind of a, you know, pulling their hair out saying that they, they couldn't get people to buy into this, that, and the other thing. And the reality is, is that the problem isn't with the elite player development in these countries. The problem is way, way below that. You can hire the best coaches in the world when, you're, when the time is right and bring the best elite coaches over. That's easy. And if it was an elite problem, then, then that solves the problem, right? Just bring over a truckload of coaches and, and set, up some, uh, set up programs. But where has that worked? I don't know yet. I don't see where that's worked. You know, so what I'm saying is, is that in China, getting back to the China question, is is that we have a very, very um, well thought out strategy 
um, to educate uh, the 100 million Chinese families with kids under the age of six. It's 100 million kids, man. Imagine a fraction percent of those kids by the age of six are as comfortable on the ball as my kids are. Game over, man. Don't tell me it's the national curriculum or the elite player development. Game over. If you start producing players at the, that basically the entry level by the time they're six years old or seven years old, they've already mastered a football at their feet. You know? So, I mean, this is why I think that more countries need to start waking up and, 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 and asking, you know, those um, – inconvenient kind of truths of, you know, what is it that they're putting their resources into? Well, so, I mean, as soon as you, say, you talk about culture and almost uh, the um, opportunity you have in China is obviously there isn't one. Obviously, you know, there's no real base culture, whereas the problem we have in England, there is a very strong football culture and the battle we're having is trying to change that. That's the issue. That's We're trying to change the culture maybe of how kids play the game and even how coaches coach the game. So what we're having is that, you know, obviously we're a history of based in, you know, very physical very direct long ball football and that's still and very obsessed with winning those games at younger age groups so it's a real battle to try and change the culture we've got any advice to maybe countries like our country who've maybe struggled historically in the past creating yeah, technical players absolutely this is what's so brilliant about what we're talking about right now you don't have to we don't need coaches to convince them what we need to do you need to bypass them and disrupt the way that the coaching or at least the game of the development side of the game is perceived and take it directly to the parents of kids, two, three, four, five, six. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you're not going to convince. You know, that's why it's so much more pleasure for me to work in China versus another country because it's easy to change or develop or create a culture where they don't have a football culture more than developing a country that has the wrong football culture. And that's the reality of it. So what I'm saying is, is that, yeah, you can have all those skeptics. You can have all those guys with the PhDs and all of the guys that are trained on, you know, motor skills learning and all of that kind of unstructured, that all of that stuff. Because what I'm saying is, is that that's fine. Let them do what they want to do. But the reality is that all of their science doesn't really work when you don't have players that can't transfer the ball from the right foot from the left foot, when you've got kids that can't do a simple wall pass, when you've got kids that can't even execute a simple overlap. You know, so what I'm, that's exactly what I'm saying. So in China, that's what we're doing. We're disrupting football development. We're saying, okay, yeah, we're not really, I, I don't want a, I don't want a room full of 500 coaches. I want a room full of 500 parents with children between zero and four and five. That's what I want. You know, so, you know, it's a different way of thinking. And, it's, and a lot of people are agreeing with me now because, you know, let, let's put it this way. Well, what, what, what people are doing doesn't seem to be working in many countries. There's nothing, right? So, you know, I, I mean, I think this is why our message is resonating with so many people. And I've been invited to speak to so many different groups and so many, you know, whether it's federations or professional clubs or associations or teams. Uh, is because, you know, we're basically, this is something a bit different. It is. It's a disruption in football development. What I'm saying is, is that I know now that my kid does not need to be with a highly experienced coach to become a great player. He doesn't. That's the reality. Because my son, who's basically sitting right next to me right now, he just came home, his coach has never played or coached football. He played rugby. And my son just laughed on the sofa when he heard me just say this. That's the truth. So what I'm saying is, is that if people understand truly how development takes place, 
there's a lot more that can be done. There's a lot more that can be done. Okay, Tom, fantastic. Appreciate your time. Do you want to to give uh, people a bit of info about where they can find out more about your great work? Obviously, you have your your great book. I've I've got them read. Do you want to give that a little plug and anything else? Sure, sure, sure. Um, Our website, tomsan.com, which is T-O-M-S-A-N.com. We have an English button on the top. It's English, Chinese, and Japanese. Um, And our book, uh, you can get the book, um, which is quite reasonably priced. Um, I think it's less than $10, US dollars. Yes, yeah, less, less than 10 pounds here as well, available on Amazon. I mean, hey, it's it's you know it's not a big investment, that's for sure. And um, also you can do the ebook if you want to get it immediately. You can just download it to your uh, iPad or iPod or whatever you have, your iPhone. Um, and, you know, and also I guess if you Google my name with a couple of code words, whether China or football or soccer in it, there's lots and lots of information on the internet. I've done tons and tons of interviews um, similar to what I'm doing with you. Um, but, you know, this one that I'm doing with you is much more updated <laughs> because we're talking today. But, I've, you know, there's a lot of information out there. I've, I've thrown just about everything out there um, and, have, and, and have exposed myself to, you know, as many, you know. I, I, one thing I'd also say is that people have to understand also the, 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 the power and the influence of the media. That's why I very rarely turn down any interviews, whether it's a small group or a big group, because, you know, I can always reach lots of people, whether it's in the hundreds or the thousands or in the millions. And, you know, this is part of fits into our strategy on how we can actually help develop, you know, different areas of the world football, because it's all about having that knowledge and understanding. So if you go to the website, you can also click on our YouTube channel on our website because we have a channel that you can go to and you can see some of the different videos of my kids from different ages, like two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So you can kind of see, you know, what could you expect a three-year-old to do with a ball? What could you expect a six-year-old to be able to do with a ball? We're going to be updating this as well. We've got some new exciting kind of tools that are in development right now that we're going to launch this year as well that's going to be much more in-depth. And that's going to hopefully aid parents on actually, you know, how can they work with their kids more in depth. So uh, thank you for this opportunity to talk uh, to you and to talk to your listeners. Tom, thank you very much. That's just that book is Football Starts at Home. Just anyone's got the title there. But yeah, Tom, thank you very much for your time. That's been really interesting. Uh, Hopefully I'll catch up with you in L.A. next week. That sounds nice to say that. And uh, thank you very much. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's dynamic ball mastery program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.